You are listening to the DOCUS podcast, brought to you by the Irish support agency New South Wales, a podcast designed to promote the mental health and well-being of the Irish community in Australia. Each month, we will explore a different aspect of mental health and well-being, guided by the latest evidence and facilitated by an expert in the field. Please support us by liking, subscribing and sharing. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to October's episode of Joker's Webinars. My name is Simon. I'm on the Mental Health and Wellbeing Working Group here at the Irish Support Agency. So before we get started, um, I would like to acknowledge that I'm hosting this webinar from the lands of the Gadigal and Bidjigal peoples. I also acknowledge that the um, acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands in which you are all watching. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. So DOCUS will be brought to you on the first Monday of each month and um, with each session exploring a different aspect of health and well-being. So all of our previous um, webinars that we've held uh, can be found on the ISA YouTube channel. Um, so tonight on World Mental Health Day, we'll be exploring eating disorders. So what eating disorders are, some of the myths associated with them, and we will look at the supports and resources that are out there to support you or your loved ones. We're lucky tonight to be joined by Kate Mulray from the Butterfly Foundation. Um, the Butterfly Foundation is the national charity for all Australians impacted by eating disorders and body images, body image issues, and for the families, friends, and communities who support them. We are also very lucky to be joined by Jane Murphy, who has generously chosen to share her lived experience story with us. So thank you very much, Kate and Jane, for joining us. Before we go any further, I also wanted to, to mention that um, this evening there will be discussing eating disorders and there will be mentions of suicide and mortality. If any of the content, content um, makes you feel uncomfortable or upset, then Butterfly has a national helpline that you can contact from 8 a.m. to midnight, seven days a week, um, on 1-800-ED-HOPE or 1-800-334673. So we'll share the details um, of Butterfly uh, in the chat after um, as well. So thank you. Um, if you have any questions throughout as well, you, you can pop them into the chat and we'll either ask as we go along or we'll, we'll make some time at the end as well to, to open it up for some questions. So feel free to, to pop any questions that you have in there as well. Um, so yeah, without further ado, uh, good evening guys and thank you uh, so much for joining us, uh, Kate and Jane. So Kate, um, thank you for, for joining us. Um, can you tell us a, a little bit about yourself and and what the work you do with the Butterfly Foundation, please. Yeah, sure. Um, so thank you so much for having us both um, this evening. And it's wonderful to be having this conversation on World Mental Health Day as well. Um, I can definitely speak on behalf of Jane and just say that we're very honoured um, to be invited here to have this conversation. Um, it's one that's very close to both of our hearts and it's such an important conversation to have. Um, so yes, I'm Kate. Um, I am a counsellor, um, but I also run um, Butterfly's Lived Experience Speakers Program. Um, so that's a program um, for people who have lived with an eating disorder or are living with an eating disorder who are wanting to share their story to um, encourage um, help seeking, raise awareness and reduce stigma. Um, so that's why we have the, the lovely Jane here, because it's it's so important that we um, are listening to um, those voices of lived experiences and, and learning from them um, as well. Brilliant. Thank you. 
Um, and can you give us a general understanding um, of what an eating disorder is? Yeah, sure. So um, eating disorders are serious, complex um, and potentially life-threatening um, mental illnesses. Um, in fact, they do have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness in Australia. Um, the development of an eating disorder um, you know, is is different for a lot of people. Um, there's no very clear cut reason as to why someone would develop an eating disorder. Um, it's an individual pathway where genetic and personality vulnerabilities kind of interact with social and environmental triggers. Um, and a lot of the time eating disorders will come with comorbidities such as depression, um, anxiety disorders, substance abuse and personality disorders. Um, in Australia at the moment, there are over 1 million Australians living with um, an eating disorder. However, what we also know is that less than one in four people with eating disorders are actually seeking professional help um, and they're due to barriers such as stigma, shame, um, also the cost and availability of treatment. Yeah. Um, so we would anticipate that that number would actually be a lot higher um, but they're, they're the only kind of statistics we have based on those who are um, receiving help. Um, in terms of the, the different types of eating disorders, um, some of the, the more commonly known ones are bulimia nervosa, anorexia nervosa, um, binge eating disorder, orthorexia, although that's not um, technically in the DSM-5 yet, um, and then other specified um, feeding or eating disorder. And this one's an important one to note, and this one actually makes up the majority of eating disorders. So this is where sometimes um, a person's symptoms don't exactly fit in with the expected symptoms um, for the some that I've already mentioned. Um, so they, they meet some of the criteria, but not all of the, the criteria. So example of this is um, atypical anorexia. So that's when someone has all the symptoms a doctor looks for to diagnose anorexia except they're not classified as, as underweight um, or reaching that kind of BMI criteria. However, they still are experiencing, you know, the psychological and physical impacts um, of anorexia nervosa. And sometimes um, people living with atypical anorexia, it can get missed um, because, you know, health professionals are looking at a very a clear criteria. Yeah, no, brilliant. Thank you. Um, and can you just tell us a little bit about the work, I know I previously asked, but just about the work and the treatment that the Butterfly Foundation does? Well, no, okay, yeah, so um, Butterfly, as you said, is a national charity for all Australians impacted by eating disorders. There are lots of different facets of the business. Um, it originally started um, by a woman 20 years ago because her daughter was living through an eating disorder and she just couldn't find the support um, for her daughter. So started it at her kitchen table. Um, Butterfly have our helpline, which you mentioned at the beginning, um, which is 8 a.m. till midnight, seven days a week. Um, we also have um, our education prevention services team. Um, we know that eating disorders um, impact um, people of all ages, but we are seeing a very high prevalence in our young people. So it's really important to be going out to schools and, and implementing those education programs um, because we know that body dissatisfaction is one of the highest risk factors for the development of an eating disorder. So trying to get in um, yeah. young. Um, so that's, that's a really big part. We also have... Um, 
kind of our communications team, which is really where that awareness um, piece has happened with some really great campaigns we do every year. And then we have our recovery um, and support services, um, notably um, Wonder Narita, which is Australia's very first residential eating disorder facility on the Sunshine Coast. And that is a new um, method or the first that's ever really been used in Australia, which is about the holistic um, care for someone experiencing an eating disorder. Um, and then also support groups and um, for carers and for those um, living with an eating disorder as well. Great, thank you for expanding on that. Um, and with eating disorders, what are the most common misconceptions that you are aware of when it, when it comes to eating disorders? Yeah, so when we talk about eating disorders, we talk about them being about 10 years behind the conversation um, where depression and anxiety are at the moment. And misconceptions, stigma, and some stereotypes surrounding eating disorders um, are probably one of the biggest contributing factors why people are not coming forward to get help. So yeah. it's important to understand what those misconceptions um, are. The first kind of key misconception is that they only impact young white women. Um, eating disorders do not discriminate and can impact anyone, regardless of age, gender, um, size, socioeconomic status, cultural background. Um, a third of people in Australia living with an eating disorder are male, um, although, again, that would be a lot higher, but uh, men are not coming forward um, to seek that diagnosis because even sometimes they think it's a female illness. Yeah. Um, we also see higher rates in the LGBTQIA plus community um, and also in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. Um, another kind of big misconception is that anorexia is the main eating disorder. I think the media have probably played quite a role in that, um, sensationalising it and, and showing quite emaciated images when discussing eating disorders. But uh, anorexia only counts for 3% of eating disorders in Australia, um, whereas binge eating disorder is 47%. Um, so I think that's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a myth. Um, the next big one is that eating disorders have a look. Um, you cannot tell um, that someone is experiencing an eating disorder by looking at them. Um, they are psychological conditions. Um, yes, they do have physical repercussions, but they are at the core psychological conditions. Um, so, you know, anyone can be experiencing one and you do not need to present as being in an underweight body to be taken seriously or to be deserving um, of help. Yeah. Um, another one that's probably not necessarily to do with eating disorders, but an important one to call out. Um, I think in our society, um, we live in what we call a diet culture society. We normalize um, dieting and it's it's a myth that that it's normal to diet. Um, our society kind of tells us that thin equals healthy or thin equals attractive. And then we therefore feel a need to kind of change the way we look by going on a diet with the, with the goal of changing our weight, shape or size. Um, but diets are not designed to work. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Um, and we also know that dieting is one of the biggest risk factors for the development of an eating disorder as well. So while we encourage focusing on your well-being and your mental health, which can include moving your body and, and finding a balanced and intuitive relationship with food, um, engaging in those kind of dieting behaviours, it, it, it's a myth that they're normal or should be kind of acceptable. Yeah. Um, 
Another one, um, eating disorders are for life. Um, recovery is possible. Recovery is not linear. Um, it looks differently for, for different people, but they are treatable at any age or stage um, of a person's life. And I think the last big myth to call out, and it's one that Butterfly seemed to, it's coming up a lot, um, probably because, you know, the age we're living in, but the myth that social media causes eating disorders as well. Um, and this kind of feeds in with it being a lifestyle choice or, you know, a vanity thing. Um, eating disorders have been around for centuries. In fact, we, um, it goes back to hieroglyphic, hieroglyphics um, on ancient Egyptian um you know, walls. And um, while social media can be one of those environmental or sociocultural environmental factors, um, it doesn't cause someone to having an eating disorder, but it can play a role in someone's body dissatisfaction, which can then, you know, yeah. potentially lead to an eating disorder. Brilliant. No, that was great. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and with obviously the last couple of years being, being in the pandemic, have you found um, that it had, had a really big impact on, on those that were living with an eating disorder and um, I suppose what, what, what way were you able to um, communicate to people from the Butterfly Foundation as well? Yeah, um, I think we've all got fatigue when it comes to, to the pandemic and we're all kind of wanting to move into the, into the next phase. Um, but the effect that the pandemic had on our mental health um, is lingering. And it's, you know, it's enduring for some and especially for eating disorders, um, it is important to acknowledge how difficult it was for those already living with an eating disorder, but also, um, you know, sending some people into those behaviours. Um, and again, just being aware that maybe some of those habits you adopted throughout the pandemic, um, they're not a result of it in terms of it being normal or acceptable that maybe you have developed an issue and it is really important to look into that and to seek help if you need it. Um, the pandemic, we, from the beginning of the pandemic to now, we've seen a increase of about 69% in prevalence of eating disorder, which is huge. Um, and there are a lot of different factors that have that have contributed to that um, an increase in video calls, um, rapid changes to routine, um, eating habits and exercise behaviours, an increase of um, social media and news, um, isolation. We know that eating disorders thrive in isolation um, and we've all experienced a lot of isolation. Um, again, yeah, lack of routine, that social anxiety returning back to you know normal life um but also all that harmful you know body and food talk um like the COVID kilos and you know people being worried about other people commenting on their weight after lockdowns um and then all I don't know if you noticed it but all the diets that came out after COVID and smash those COVID kilos and gyms doing you know specific programs to lose those COVID kilos and that's you know an incredibly triggering space and um, again that kind of diet culture profiting off our, our insecurities so yeah it was a, a very difficult time for the, the people across the board. Yeah no brilliant thank, thank you very much. Um, Jane so thank you very much um, for, for joining us and, and sharing your story tonight. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience, please? 
Yeah. Um, first, I'm going to apologize. I have a puppy here. So if she mm-hmm. um, decides she wants to join in on the conversation, I'm really sorry about that. Um, yeah. So I um, am now someone who considers myself recovered, um, but I had um, an active eating disorder for well over 10 years. Um, I started developing um disordered eating habits when I was in primary school I can actually um, pin it down to when I was nine years old um, because I had a little diary and I wrote about starting to restrict eating in my little diary Um, and over the next few years I built up these habits of um, of restricting how much food I would eat and um, until when I was in high school I had um, an absolute full-blown eating disorder Um, I can really trace that to a couple of factors. Um, a big one is that I faced a lot of um, adverse childhood experiences and some exposure to domestic violence um, and got a lot of um, criticism and um, comments and, um, and even abuse on how my body looked. And, um, and I really internalised that. Um, and that's something that can happen at any stage in someone's life, but it's something that I think you're particularly vulnerable to as a child. And so I developed this idea that my body wasn't good um, and especially that I was either fat or going to be fat. Um, And I took charge of that in the way that I thought I could, which was to start restricting eating. Um, When I got into high school, um, there was like a level of education included in the Victorian curriculum in terms of eating disorders. Um, And I remember very clearly being told that there were two kinds of eating disorders. There was bulimia and there was anorexia. Um, And the problem with having an eating disorder is that you get skinny enough that you die. (laughs) And, um, And I was a kind of awkward, chunky teenage girl. And I was like, well, I'm not going to die. Um, I'm not too skinny. Um, I'm like definitely in a puppy fat stage. Um, and so I took that information and was like, all right, I can run with this. I can keep um, keeping up these really um, on reflection, really dangerous behaviors of um, severe restriction and that kind of thing. And um, I didn't tell anyone that I was confident I had an eating disorder until I was 19. Um, So a full 10 years after I um, initially started exhibiting disordered eating behaviours and I didn't actually um, properly seek support for it after I'd figured it out until I was, um, I think, almost 22. Um, So I spent well over half my life at that point um, with an eating disorder with no treatment or support Um, and one of the scary things is becoming a part of this beautiful community and learning that actually that story of having an eating disorder for years and years and not having any support not seeking help is actually terribly common Um, you like to look at that kind of thing and go, no, it's just me who wasted years of my life, which is how I feel about it, being really sick. Um, but no, it's, it's super common for people to have that kind of experience. Um, I've been on the recovery journey for six years now. Um, and for me, that 
that hasn't been linear um, and it's been really hard as well. Um, I ended up with first a diagnosis of um, bulimia um, and that was not me. Um, I've never had the behaviours that are required to um, have a diagnosis of bulimia. Um, I very much restricted and didn't have that um, binging or purging aspect in, in my eating disorder. Um, but the first person I talked to about it looked at me and went, you're not thin enough to have anorexia. Um, in the end, I've landed in um, an official diagnosis would be um, other specified feeding and eating disorder, but, um, but atypical anorexia. So a restriction-based eating disorder where I either maintained weight a lot of the time or even gained weight through periods of, um, of my eating disorder. Um, and it is a journey to feel valid, um, but you look at the core symptoms, um, the restriction, the brain stuff, all that kind of thing, and, and that was me. Um, so that is my, um, my journey in a nutshell. Yeah, no, thank, thank you very much for sharing that, Jane. Um, I know you touched on the, um, I suppose, education and support piece in high school. Um, could you elaborate a bit more on, on what the resources, I suppose, were like back then? And, and have you seen any improvement? Um, and, you know, did you, did you feel like, I suppose, they were adequate at the time? Or, you know, yeah, if you could just expand on that a little bit. Yeah, um, so as I said, I first heard about eating disorder through the compulsory um, high school education health classes here in Australia um, and that was not adequate or appropriate and I think that and I'm confident that it did more harm and good for at least for at least me um, and then it took years of kind of having that little bit of knowledge of like my brain is doing things that are in line with this mental illness um, but what, is, what does it actually mean if I don't look like what I have been told I meant to or what I think I meant to? Um, and so I really um, sat with my illness for, for those several years until I started um, um, first talking to just a friend that I felt I could really trust. Um, and then finally, um, when I was 21 or 22, I went to my GP um, and I was actually getting treated for anxiety and depression. Um, and I was coming to realize um, that I, I wanted my depression to get better because that was um, really hard. And I was realizing that my eating behaviors were definitely mm -hmm. making my depression worse. That's my dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I thought I was super clever. I went into my GP and I was like, just, you know, I'm just asking for a friend, um, but is there treatment available under Medicare for an eating disorder? And she was like, we can get you treated for your eating disorder, Jane. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so she saw right through me and that was fantastic. Um, but then the next part of that journey is actually accessing that treatment. Um, and um, that was really hard. I was living in um, regional Victoria, um, a person in a larger body with an eating disorder and the treatment options that were available to me at that point were really 
really inadequate. As I said, um, I sort of bounced through a couple of diagnoses before someone could actually say to me like, no, no, based on your behaviors you have and, and, and the symptoms in your brain, um, again, noting that it is a, a psychological illness, um, that I had anorexia, um, but then even with that knowledge, um, I wasn't um, able to receive the kind of inpatient treatment that I probably needed given how sick I was at the point that I got diagnosed. Um, and when we um, looked into applying for those different programs for me at that point in time, based on my location um, and other stuff like my weight at that time, um, I wasn't either eligible for um, actually accessing treatment that was near me um, and some of the treatment um, facilities that were um, there um, actually either wouldn't accept me based on my weight being too high, even though I was incredibly sick, um, or um, that I was discouraged from applying because the staff there and um, and the way that they approach their process would probably be re-traumatizing because they wouldn't know how to handle someone who had an eating disorder but wasn't um, severely underweight. Um, and I would like add an asterisk onto that as that as um, a member of the community, I now know that it's not just that you have to have um, a BMI, um, which you may or may not know BMIs are already kind of a dodgy concept um, yep. that's low enough to um, to receive treatment but actually you can be barred from accessing treatment for an eating disorder in terms of inpatient treatment if your BMI is too low um, which is something that I have friends in the community who needed that kind of support and actually weren't able to access it um, so yeah I would I would say that the treatment that was available to me was pretty pretty disappointing yeah. The actual journey that um, I went on involved a kind of cobbled together um, mixture of um, a psychologist and um, seeing a dietitian to like get back on track in terms yeah. of actually eating enough and that kind of thing. Um, and um, I've had to have a lot of support in terms of getting my um nutrition back to a basic level in terms of having um, vitamin infusions and that kind of thing yeah. because um, after 10 years of ongoing and severe restriction um, your body <laughs> doesn't do so well um, and while um, the support was there and they do get it covered by Medicare for the most part there wasn't a as big of an out-of-pocket expense for me as there could have been. And like, I, I absolutely wouldn't have been able to get treatment if it had have been all out of pocket. Um, it was cobbled together and I do feel um, almost a little angry about that. It, it should be better. I think that um, given how severe, how dangerous um, and how terribly sad it is to live with an eating disorder, it's so isolating. Um, yeah, we we need there to be better better stuff out there. And I will say that Butterfly is doing amazing work in terms of standing out Wanda Narita. Um, and also that education that's really important, not just for um, the community, but also 
we need our um, healthcare professionals and support workers and all of that kind of thing to really be able to address um, eating disorders both adequately but also um, correctly because I, I don't want any other person um, to ever front up to a doctor and go, I'm doing X behaviour and the doctor to look back at them and go, mm, you, don't, you don't look like you do that um, because um, for me I had a really good relationship with my doctor and it, and it was that process was easy for me for a bunch of unrelated reasons but the idea of someone getting to the point of seeking help when it's so difficult um such a painful and difficult journey and then having doors slam in your face um just terrible yeah and um with the i suppose the recoveries um at the moment do you do you feel supported in that yeah, um, recovery for me was not linear. It definitely had, um, you know, the advances and, and the falls back. And and um, for me, ongoing recovery has meant staying really connected to my medical team. Um, I'm still actively um, managing my blood nutrition levels um, and also... Um, the psychological support i see a counselor i probably will for the rest of my life and i have no shame about that um and then the other part of it is the um i guess building a community around around me that um is supportive of my ongoing journey and it's it's funny that um eating disorders being caused by social media is a big thing that comes up because for me um social media was like hugely important it was both like how I first became really aware of butterfly um which was really really important um but also just seeing other people who had recovered from eating disorders other people who um were living in larger bodies um who looked like me and had great lives because that was a thing that I um, didn't feel was open to me of like thin people are happy yeah. um, so if you're not thin you'll always be sad and have a terrible life yeah. um, and that's been hugely important to my journey and staying on track um, I will also say that like it, it's hard work um, the the process of recovering from an eating disorder requires a lot of determination, a lot of support. Um, and that's both the practical stuff in terms of having a GP, having for me, a nutritionist, um, but also having my, my beautiful partner um, yeah. and family and friends and all of that kind of thing. And, and it is a choice every single day to be recovered, to stay on recovery because um, going back to that thing about diet culture and that kind of thing, um, there are a lot of things that want to push you back off track. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Jane. Um, and what, what would you say to anybody out there at the moment that's currently living with um, an eating disorder? Um, the thing that I wish that I could have said to myself 
um, if I could go back and speak to a younger version of me, it would be that if you are engaging in these behaviours or even just these patterns of thought, um, you are sick enough. There is no point at which you will look in the mirror and be like, okay, no, I'm sick enough to get help now. Um, it's not it's not how your brain on this illness works um, because you can't see how sick you are, um, but also just how dangerous these kinds of behaviours are for you. Um, if you think you have an eating disorder, if you think you're moving towards developing an eating disorder, um, get help and there's not going to be a point if you wait long enough that you'll feel like you're valid um I still feel even now like officially working with butterfly I still feel sometimes like a bit of a fraud um I was never hospitalized for example and that's a thing that people um like really associate with severe eating disorders um no I was so sick I was so sick and if you think this is you or if you think this is someone that you um, love is dealing with um, today is the time. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Um, and what, what support from a friend or a family um, could we do better? I think I'm going to throw that one to Kate. <laughs> so was, was the question as a... As a so as a community, um, what what could we do better to, to support our friends or family? Yeah, um, I think this um, question is quite layered. Um, so I'll kind of start a little broader and then get a little bit more pointy. Yep. Um, I think as a community more widely, um, I think one thing we can all do is be a hell of a lot kinder to ourselves and yep. to others. Um, and kind of to our own bodies and, and to other bodies. So that means um, trying not to comment on people's weight. It's very natural for people to kind of go, wow, you look great, you've lost weight. Um, if someone is in the midst of an eating disorder and hears that, that can kind of just push them even further because if you're talking to an eating disorder mind, they're like, great, it's working, keep going, you're doing a good job. Um, so taking the emphasis and, and, and the value of what we look like and reminding ourselves that we are so much more than what we look like. Um, it's our values, it's our morals, it's our passions, it's our hobbies, it's the way we show kindness to other people. Um, so just really holding ourselves accountable to take that emphasis off um, what we look like, prioritising our mental health, you know, what Jane said that she'll see a counsellor probably for the rest of her life and I and and there's no shame in that. And I think that, you know, when I say to people, do you go to the gym? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so you, you're looking after your physical health, but we need to kind of look after our mental health too and, and find ways to manage our feelings um, and also practice self-compassion. That's another huge one. Um, we're so critical of ourselves. We're so critical of ourselves. And sometimes if you catch yourself you know, talking down or looking in the mirror and, and not really liking what you're seeing back and you kind of go, you know, you look like this or I feel like this. You, know, you kind of think, would I ever say that to my best friend or someone I love? And the answer is always no. So 
why, why are we kind of talking to our, ourselves like that? Um, so yeah, broadly kind of to ourselves and, yeah. and to, to, um, to others. In terms of what we can do as a community, we can be more educated on eating disorders. They are rife. Like everyone here and anyone you speak to will know someone who is living with an eating disorder. Um, and we need to become uh, more comfortable talking about them and more educated around them as well. Um, and that's knowing the signs. Um, Butterfly offers um, an amazing amount of resources um, on, on our website, but knowing the signs, um, kind of knowing um, if, if someone you care about is changing behaviours, um, they might start talking a lot about their body shape, yep. weight, food and exercise. Um, you might see changes in their mood. They don't seem like themselves. Um, there might be noticeable physical changes. I will say, as Jane said, asterisks, if you notice physical changes in someone you care about, don't ever make that the topic of conversation. Don't kind of say, I've noticed that you've lost weight or you've gained weight. It's, you know, I'm I'm feeling concerned about you. Is everything okay? Because again, if they have gained weight because they might be experiencing a particular eating disorder, um, that's going to reinforce shame they might already be feeling. And if they've lost weight, then um, you might be, again, encouraging that eating disorder without even meaning to. Um, they might be focusing on food and exercise more than they ever have. Um, they might be, you know, following a lot of accounts, showcasing, you know, body ideals. As Jane said, you know, social media can be this incredible place where it's the first time that people have felt inclusion. Um, and, and we've been able to see this incredible growth of diversity. So it can be a great place, but if you're if you're noticing, you know, someone kind of really focusing on certain people or fit fitspo or wellness influences, just kind of keep an eye on that. Um, and then also, you know, not attending events, um, not kind of eating in front of you, um, really feeling them kind of pull away. So knowing those those signs, and then the next step to that is if you notice the signs, please, please, please don't wait and see. Um, we know that the earlier that you intervene with someone experiencing disordered eating or eating disorders, um, it, and the, the sooner they kind of get that support, it lessens the severity and the longevity of an eating disorder. Um, you know, too many people kind of say, oh, they don't see themselves, but I'm just going to, I don't really want to have the conversation, yeah, probably, yeah. or, it's, or it's a bit awkward. And that, that applies to to you know, any kind of mental illness or, or mental health problem. That's not just eating disorders, but we really encourage you to um, to have that conversation. If you are going to have that conversation, this is where we start to get down to the pointy, the pointier end. Um, you've got to understand as much as you can about eating disorders, which I've mentioned. Um, it's really important to decide the best person to have that conversation. Always make sure that it's a trusted individual to that person. Um, decide where and, and when it should occur, emphasis on the where. Um, if someone is exhibiting behaviours of disordered eating or an eating disorder, best not to take them to a food-orientated location, like a cafe or a restaurant. Yeah. Um, take them somewhere quiet, not a public place. Um, think about what you're going to say. So as I mentioned before, not making it about physical changes, more about the person. Um, a really big tip that we encourage is using language, um, using I instead of you. So I have noticed that you haven't been yourself or I'm feeling concerned. 
as soon as we shift the language to you don't seem yourself or you've, you know, it, it can come yeah. across as a little bit accusatory. Um, and this might be things you've explored in similar webinars, because again, this is kind of across the board stuff. Yeah. Um, if someone is, is already in the midst of their eating disorder, it's important to prepare yourself that you will not get a good response. Um, you know, it's it, everyone who has an eating disorder will explain it differently, but um, sometimes the eating disorder can really start to take over you and your mind and the person you are and the identity that you are. And if that process is, has already started to happen and someone comes and sits down and, and you know, is trying to support you, your eating disorder mind is going to be like, you don't, you don't need help, you don't deserve help, don't listen to them, um, and, and you can be quite defensive. So if you are about to have a conversation with someone who might be in that space, just remind yourself that the person you love is in there. Yeah. And that you just have to tell them that you're there for them and that you support them. And that, you know, if they're rude, you know, that's okay. Maybe try again. But also understand that you don't yeah. have the sole responsibility to fix that person, to diagnose that person, that you just need to show them your love and support. Um, and then if that conversation goes well, have resources. There are amazing resources. The Butterfly, obviously, um, NEDC, um, Eating D Disorders Victoria, um, Eating Disorders Queensland, there's um, ANZ. There's there's a lot of different resources um, out there that, that you can um, rely on and um, present to that person. Um, even the helpline is just such a great place to start because they're going to have a qualified counsellor who can listen to their concerns and, and try and guide them in the right direction. Brilliant. Thank you for that, um, Kate. That was, that was excellent. Um, I'm just conscious of time as well. So um, thank you both for, for um, your talk tonight. And I'll, I'll, I'll open it up for questions from the audience as well. Um, so we, we can fit those in. So if anybody has any questions, leave a few in there. There was just a question there in the uh, chat box um, from Anya. Um, can I ask what a caregiver in your life? So I think, Jane, this was in, in reference to thank you so much. Can I ask what a caregiver in your life could have done to step in when you were in denial? Yeah, um, I think I would mirror um, a lot of what Kate said to that one um, in terms of that specific process. I think that the things that would have really spoken to me, um, just if you wanted to time travel and talk to me specifically, um, it would have been really emphasizing how um, regardless of um, what I was feeling about myself um, and the patterns of behavior, I guess, that I'd gone into that I didn't um, deserve to be as sick and um, both physically and mentally as, um, as I was. The thing that I, I came to of, of my... Um, little manifesto was even if I am disgusting even if I am really that ugly and fat and don't deserve to be um and feel like I don't deserve to be happy no one deserves to be this sick um and and that is how I would approach that conversation if I had to have it with someone um because eating disorders are so incredibly destructive, so isolating. And I got to that point that Kate sort of described where 
it felt like uh, I it felt like the eating disorder was like my life partner. Um, it was such a prominent feature in my life. It was really a really scary um, and and really sick time looking back. Um, the other thing I would say that I would really again mirror what Kate said is if I had to have that conversation with someone or if I was coaching someone on how to have that conversation, I would very much be approaching it as saying, I've noticed this um, and not coming to it and being like, do you think you might have an eating disorder? Because if you had have asked me that, I would have said no. Um, no, I care about my health. No, I'm trying to improve my life I'm trying to improve my self-esteem I'm trying to look better that kind of thing um right up until I was really quite away into recovery I was in that very severe denial about about what I was doing and why um but there were some things that were objectively happening um like I wouldn't eat in front of people I would eat a very very limited um array of things and that kind of thing um and those are things that you'll be able to point to if you're close to someone and go, um, you know, a one that came up for me when, um, when I did have someone talk to me and they didn't quite approach it the right way and it, and it went down badly was the person being like, I've never seen you eat lunch. <laughs> um, and that's the kind of thing that you can notice about someone. Um, so that's what I would encourage. Um, and yeah, reach out for support for yourself as well, because it's going to be a really hard journey. Um, it's, it's unbelievably hard on the family and care and that kind of thing. Great. I think that is all the questions. I'm just having a quick look. Um, just, just a couple of thank yous coming through. So thank you both. Oh, sorry, thank you, uh, So yeah, Jane, this question for you again. Um, so wondering if any, uh, if any work with your counselor, what, what, what work with your counselor has helped the most? Um, to be really specific, um, I've done cognitive behavioral therapy, um, looking at um, basically, um, as my understanding, um, when you learn something or have a thought, you create a little pathway in your brain. And the more you use a particular pathway, the stronger it gets and the more your brain wants to use it again. Um, Kate might be able to describe this better. Um, but um, I had a lot of those pathways that said really gross things about me, like that I was ugly and disgusting. Um, and... I went through a really long process of um, learning to use those pathways less um, and um, working on building up new little pathways. So one saying things like, no one deserves to be this unhappy or um, my body does really good things for me. Um, all my positive experiences happen through my body because my body is how I interface with the world, that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, building those new little pathways and having your brain work differently and not spitting out these useless, horrible messages um, was a big part of um, 
empowering me to do all of the other stuff. Like um, once I accepted that all the great experiences I have in life are always mitigated through my body, that made it a lot easier to engage with going. Um, one of the things that food does for us is it fuels us. So you have to eat because like I want to live a long life and go and see like all the awesome art in the world and that kind of thing. Um, so that is the kind of therapy I did. I understand that um, CBT is um, pretty well supported for eating disorders, but at the same time, everyone's therapy journey is different. Um, and if you go and speak to your first um, counselor or psychologist and have a terrible experience, you've got to go back. And that's one of the hard things is that there are through this journey, at least in my experiences, a lot of that door slam in the face thing. Um, and having the resilience to go back. And if you don't like the first person, you don't like the first method, um, then trying again. And I'm on my fourth eating disorder counsellor. The first couple just didn't work out. Um, but now I'm in a great place and have a great counsellor and I'm doing really well. Thank you. Um, great. I think, I think that's all the questions from the audience. Um, and Kate, I know you had mentioned throughout the conversation about the conversation on eating disorders being about 10 years behind the, I suppose, the mental health movement and, and, and where that is at the moment and how, I suppose, the stigma has been broken down and people are talking about it a lot more. So I think, obviously, with Jane sharing your experience and the great work that Butterfly Foundation um, is doing, that, you know, hopefully it's, it's not 10 years. And um, so I want to thank you both. Um, I know myself, I've learned a, a, a lot and tried this conversation. So, you know, and I know from all the positive comments going through from everybody they have as well. So thank you both for the incredible work you're doing. Um, and yeah, we'll thank everyone else for joining. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And we hope that you enjoyed the episode. Please don't forget to rate and review so more people can find us. Until next month.